Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one bestseller, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of the medical merry-go-round? Are you looking for a potential solution to your health problem? Be sure and listen to our podcast, The Code Breaker. Welcome back in on a Monday. It's the Rebel Report. I'm Michael Borky. Thank you for making the podcast, as always, a part of your day. And I do have to say this off the bat because I did get uh, a message. I think it was Saturday. Uh, from one of you that said, where the hell is the podcast? Uh, and for that, I appreciate, by the way. I thank you for uh, for listening so dedicated to the point where you're reaching out to me wondering where an episode was. So uh, I've missed the last two Fridays, and that is entirely my fault. And uh, I owe you extra ones, and you'll get them this week and next. But um, first off, life has just kind of hit us hard around here and... Uh, um, that was one of the main reasons why you didn't get a Friday one, just kind of things happening. But also, I did do one on Friday. So I was supposed to call a high school football game on Friday night. I did. Um, But I did a podcast in the morning before I hit the road. It was three hours away, if you can believe it, uh, me calling a high school game that far. But I recorded one, and I was finished, basically finished. I had, like, the outro to record, basically like, hey, thanks for listening, I appreciate you. Have a good weekend. We'll talk to you on uh, on Monday. And my computer crashed. It's the second time this has happened to me. Uh, but the last time I had enough time to record another one. This time I did not. So I did have one for you on Friday. So if you are listening today and you're the guy that asked me where the podcast was, well, it was there. And I looked at Ole Miss's basketball schedule as well as... Uh, made picks for the weekend, which, by the way, went 4-0. I'm not even kidding. They went 4-0. They were made on the radio show, so if you do listen to uh, to that, uh, there's verification proof that I did go 4-0 this weekend. Really recovered uh, after a, just a brutal start for me. But anyway, so m- my deepest apologies uh, for not having Friday episodes. Life has just come at me very fast over the last few weeks, and um, that has kind of prevented me from doing the, the side thing which is this podcast. The radio show has been of utmost importance along with some personal things going on. So we should be back to normal, back to a regular schedule. We've got Ole Miss and South Carolina coming up this weekend. It's a game that is near and dear to my heart. Uh, My family has a handful of degrees from South Carolina. Um, Considered going to school there. I grew up in the state. So this game's important to me mostly because I want... Um, I know I'm supposed to be impartial or whatever, but I want Ole Miss to kick the shit out of South Carolina so I can send a lot of text messages on Saturday. Um, so we'll spend a lot of time on that game this week. Um, I do hope to get Ben Mintz on soon. I know he's a busy guy, he and he's just the best and still willing to come on here after he gets a job at Barstool. is pretty cool. So we'll have him hopefully this week. I will have a guest that covers the Gamecocks on this week as well. Big plans for this podcast. You'll get more than three this week for sure. Uh, I'm even shooting for five, so we'll see how that plays out. Uh, if I just simply if I have the time, so I appreciate your patience. I thank you for reaching out and um, asking where it is. That means a lot to me. If you can believe it, you being mad at me means a lot to me. I know that's weird to say, but it is. It is very very true. So today we'll look at what happened in college football this weekend. Uh, it, the South Carolina game in particular, of course, that's one that has extreme interest to you and how they looked 
Now they've opened up the quarterback battle. So I've been wondering why they haven't made a decision to move on from Colin Hill earlier. But now it looks like they're potentially doing that. I don't think it matters, though. So we'll talk about uh, South Carolina, Texas A&M, Georgia, Florida, Vanderbilt, Mississippi State, and uh, Clemson, Notre Dame, and all that good stuff coming up here uh, on the podcast. But first, I do want to remind you that the show is brought to you every single week by LBs just across from Kroger on University Avenue right there in Oxford. The weather, again this week, going to be stunning. So go by, see Greg, tell him we sent you, get something to put behind the grill, enjoy your Ole Miss in South Carolina, but get your weekend started with LB's best place in Mississippi to get your meat just across from Kroger on University Avenue right there in Oxford. And so I do want to touch on this real quickly, actually. I do... um, Want to just quick thoughts on the Ole Miss basketball schedule. I did a much longer breakdown of it uh, on Friday and it got destroyed. But it's a football day, so we're going to talk football. I do just want to mention, though, uh, Ole Miss's basketball schedule. In case you haven't seen it, it had to get adjusted a little bit. But Ole Miss was able to maintain some marquee non-conference games. So I think that was important. And then there's a couple of notes in the SEC schedule that I think are um, worth bringing to you before we start talking football. Number one, the Justin Reed Classic, which is, I don't know how you can call something a classic being its first year, but still, I love the concept. you got Central Arkansas, Jackson State, and Arkansas State in three consecutive days. So the Wednesday of Thanksgiving week is when they play Central Arkansas. Thanksgiving, they play Jackson State. And then the day after, they play Arkansas State there in Oxford. So a cool event, uh, a really great honor, uh, of course. And... Um, that's something new. I hope it sticks. I hope Ole Miss hosts a tournament in the Pavilion regularly. It's a beautiful facility. Uh, that is something that I want to see moving forward. I'd like to see some local flavor, maybe throw some Southern Miss in there. Um, and it's a good enough facility now that maybe you can get a couple of Power 5 teams or or a high-level uh, group of five teams, using football terms, to come play in that event. Because I think that that's really cool, and, and I hope it sticks. I really do. But you do get to keep on this schedule because COVID's kind of altered things. You still have Memphis on December 5th. You still have to go to Dayton on December 19th. And Dayton was one of the best teams in basketball last year. And you still have Wichita State. So the non-conference still has those three, and hopefully Memphis is still intact. And the NCAA doesn't really shoot them to the moon until after this season. So Ole Miss can have a decent game on their schedule. But keeping Memphis, keeping Dayton keeping Wichita State through COVID and all the schedule adjustments that are happening across the country, I think it's important. All good games, quality non-conference basketball, I think it's a big deal. Um, And then the SEC slate, naturally, you start on the road, you have to go to Tuscaloosa, which isn't the most daunting start, at least it's not Kentucky, but uh, hey, uh, Ole Miss starting on the road in SEC play is a tradition unlike any other. Uh, By the way, Masters Week, so hello, friends. Also on the schedule, a couple of things worth noting. You start out uh, with a series of winnable games uh, with with Alabama, with Auburn at home. So you go to Tuscaloosa, you host Auburn, you host South Carolina to start the season. And then after a tough game at Florida, you host Georgia, you go to Mississippi State, who's potentially going to be pretty bad. Uh, They had a lot of roster turnover, didn't replace talent with talent. And then Texas A&M. So that's a nice little stretch for Ole Miss there. But the most important thing about this schedule, I think, is that you have Kentucky, LSU, and Tennessee just one time, and all three are at home. 
So you end the season with Kentucky, which is probably the worst place to get them on your schedule because generally speaking, they've gelled by then. But you get all three of them one time and you get them all at home. And also you only have Florida one time. So if you're looking for a takeaway from the schedule, I think that's it. You play Florida, you play Tennessee, you play LSU, and you play Kentucky all just one time. And three of those four are at home. You have to go to Gainesville. So that's a nice break on the schedule. You have Missouri twice. You have Georgia twice. You have South Carolina twice uh, from the east. And that's a a scheduling break as well uh, for Ole Miss. So that's a little overview of the schedule. I'm not going to spend too much more time on it just because there's a lot of football things I want to talk about today. But I did do that on Friday, and I failed to... uh, Failed to bring that to you because I have a 12-year-old Dell laptop. And as you can imagine, it doesn't work all that well. But hey, we're uh, we're getting by. All right, looking at football this weekend. Um, we'll start with Texas A&M, South Carolina. Because that's obviously Ole Miss's opponent on Saturday. Um, Ryan Holinsky finally played. And he was okay in very limited action. They've also got this Luke Doty kid that apparently Will Muschamp today uh, or yesterday has indicated that now it's an open quarterback competition. Colin Hill, Ryan Holinsky, and Luke Doty all could start against uh, Ole Miss. uh, All of them. And if they're still doing that in the middle of the season, you know you've got real problems. Uh, I mean, uh, could you imagine right now how you would feel if Ole Miss was like, well, you could start Matt Corral, or you could start John Rice Plumley or Cade Renfro. You know, we'll we'll open up the competition this week and see which one of the three separates themselves. I mean, that's anxiety-inducing. Uh, I, I feel terrible for South Carolina fans, but I don't know what you could have expected when you hired Mike Bobo to run your offense, because this is exactly what you should have expected when Mike Bobo is running your offense. Colin Hill. Um, at times shows flashes of being okay, but he was atrocious against Texas A&M on Saturday. He was 8 of 21 passing for just 66 yards and two interceptions. I mean, it is an offense at this point that is just simply inept. Now, Texas A&M defensively is much better, much better uh, than Ole Miss, but uh, I think Colin Hill is bad regardless of the opponent. I mean, maybe they give Holinsky some run. I can't believe they haven't done that yet uh, up until this point, but I guess... Colin Hill's Mike Bobo's guy, but you saw it again on Saturday. South Carolina runs the most boring, unimaginative, uncreative offense you've ever seen. And I think Kevin Harris is a pretty good back. Uh, he, he looks like a good player. And as you guys know, uh, Ole Miss's defense uh, has given up a lot of yards to basically everybody. So I would expect South Carolina, especially Kevin Harris, to have a little bit of success. But... Um, This might be, Vanderbilt aside, um, the worst offense they've seen this year. Now, Colin Hill, if he is the starter, or Ryan Holinsky are better passers than Terry Wilson, but Kentucky's better up front, and Kentucky's deeper in the backfield. And if Colin Hill's going to continue to go 8 of 21 through the air and throw a couple of picks, well, then how much better than Terry Wilson is he? So, um, it might be a little hairy. Because, like I said, Kevin Harris is a pretty good back. I think South Carolina is going to have success running the football some. But Ole Miss has a huge opportunity this week. 
a huge opportunity to to really have a statement win. I mean, they beat Vanderbilt, and uh, the stats are nice and stuff like that when you beat Vanderbilt. But if you come out on Saturday and beat South Carolina the way they can, I don't know if they will because I do think South Carolina is going to score some points because everybody has on that defense. But if you make a statement win like this, if you roll up 48 points like Texas A&M did, um, and you really control a game and you dominate South Carolina, that would be a statement win. I think Ole Miss is poised to do just that. You've got quarterback shuffling and hot seat conversation, and it looked to me like South Carolina had quit, uh, especially late in that game. They they looked like they quit against Texas A&M. So it's a team that you're favored over, you're better than, I think you can beat. Your offense is explosive and fast and dynamic, and theirs is literally the exact opposite. They've got a good back in Kevin Harris, but he's not uh, Tank Jenkins at Auburn. I mean, not even close. So, excuse me, I said Tank Jenkins. Uh, Tank Bigsby. Who's Tank Jenkins? I'm going to Google that just to see, because that's a... Tank Jenkins. Played football at Houston. So there you go. I just made that up. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, Tank Bigsby, uh, Kevin Harris is not him. And I don't think South Carolina is as good up front as Auburn. So a real opportunity here. A team that looked like they quit. It really looked like they quit. I can't believe they haven't played Holinsky more uh, than they have. So maybe you'll see him Saturday and maybe that changes things. But uh, I doubt it. Uh, I doubt it. Elsewhere in the SEC, uh, Florida absolutely smoked Georgia. And by the way, I don't mean to be this guy, but I'm going to be this guy. That segment on game day about Dan Mullen I thought was embarrassing. It was a joke. When they spun uh, Dan Mullen's actions against Missouri when he started a fight and then jumped around, like, forgive my language, jumped around like a jackass on the field after the fight that he kind of started— and then showed up to the press conference in a Darth Vader costume. When game day called that quirky and said that was just Dan Mullen being Dan Mullen and then made it about Star Wars, I thought that was... Im- that's there, There's brand protecting, and then there's that. The only reason why they ran that segment was just because they were playing Florida that day. If it was anybody else playing a game that didn't matter as much, they would have just roasted him for his antics. But they've got to protect the brand because they're in deep partnership with the SEC. I thought that was a joke. Uh, talking about Dan Mullen in, in the way he acted in such a way. Um, I just, I don't know what the hell they were doing there or why they thought that was a good idea. But then again, you had Roman Harper on the SEC Network, a guy that I like, but still Roman Harper on the SEC Network after the Mullen fight say, you can't suspend him because he's got to play Georgia next week. I mean, openly transparent. But anyway, as for the game itself, when do we get to start talking about Kirby Smart in the same Uh, realm as Mark Richt. It's a bad season for book writers. Horrible season for book writers. Because you had the uh, Ed Orgeron book that came out this year, which I'm sure is wonderful, called Flip the Script. But the the same week Flip the Script came out for public purchase, uh, LSU went to Auburn and got their asses absolutely kicked, and they're terrible. And then there was also a book written about Kirby Smart going into the season about how he returned Georgia to glory and now they fall to 4-2 and two and got smoked by Florida. Maybe don't write books before the end of things, you know what I mean? Especially on Georgia's case when they haven't won anything. They haven't won anything. 
Yeah, uh, look, he went to the playoff. Uh, okay, that's great. So has Washington. He hadn't won anything. Return to glory. His record is just like Mark Rick's. He's Mark Rick's with slightly better recruiting. And he looks like a child. He looks like a 19-year-old Sigma Chi, like just getting smashed on the weekends with his visor and his baby face. It's time to start talking about Georgia and Kirby Smart the way they deserve. Because right now, all you've got is bad coaching decisions late in important games. Like, yeah, he's beaten Florida. It hasn't been all bad, but in the most important games that he's coached in, Something's gone wrong. And then he ran off Justin Fields in favor of keeping Jake from. I mean, when do we start looking at Georgia differently? I think we should. Because what's different? Seriously, what's different? They haven't changed a bit. The recruiting's a little bit flashier. They haven't changed a bit. Quarterback problems. That elite-level defense gave up 44 points and 475 through the air from Kyle Trask and four touchdowns. When do we start talking about Kirby Smart in that context? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Dan Mullen gets a, an extremely important win for Florida. Now, they're back into the driver's seat of the SEC East, obviously, and then the college football playoff. You know, They've got to go to the SEC championship and win. But now, right now, I think you've got three SEC teams that are in contention. Alabama, obviously. Texas A&M, if you look at their schedule, can run the table. And they can make things really dicey. And then, of course, Florida. So it was an important win for Dan Mullen. I think he's a clown, but I think he's a hell of a football coach. And um, there were people around here in Mississippi that thought that he would never be able to win at a high level at Florida uh, because he doesn't recruit well enough. And maybe there's some merit to that. But Florida is the kind of place that recruits itself. And even though there's been some attrition, he's had top 10 classes in his first two full cycles. So if a guy like Dan Mullen is recruiting top 10 classes every year, um, he's bound for championship winning. Without a doubt, I mean, he's, ba- he's going to win a championship at Florida uh, with the way he develops and the way he coaches. An absolute clown, but a clown that can really, really coach football. Um, so yeah. Big win for Florida. Elsewhere in the SEC, Mississippi State barely got by Vanderbilt. And uh, I spent some time on my Sunday show yesterday, because if you can believe it, I also cover Mississippi State uh, as well on that show. So if you only listen to this, I I, I do both. And um, I would like to think I'm very good uh, at doing both, but maybe that's just self-inflated ego that doesn't belong. Anyway, uh, I said last week on that show, so before they played Vanderbilt, that something's wrong. And it's beyond just typical roster attrition. And if I were a Mississippi State fan, I'd be really concerned with what I've seen and with how it's gone. I'm not going to write the obituary on Mike Leach just yet. I think that he has proven in two very difficult places to win that he will win. I mean, he's proved it in other places. Not national championships, but he's proven that he can win at historically difficult places to do so. So I'm not writing him off just yet. I know some people, you know, want me to do that. I'm not going to do that because he's shown it can work elsewhere. But there's something wrong right now. There's a problem. And even though they beat Vanderbilt, I think all this game did was show them, show everybody 
that there's a problem. Because when you're playing Alabama and you're playing Texas A&M, you can use the, well, he doesn't have his guys yet. You know, the talent's just not there. And that's valid. Mississippi State this season was never competing with Alabama, regardless of who the coach was, and regardless of if he ran players off or not. And um, he was, they, they were never beating Alabama this season. It wasn't going to happen. But that's not an excuse against Vanderbilt. This is a historically bad Vanderbilt team. The worst roster in the SEC. And you had 204 total yards against that Vanderbilt team a week after they got torched. At one point, Matt Corral had 19 consecutive completions against that Vanderbilt defense for over 400 yards, six touchdowns. And then they ran for a bunch as well. Same team one week later. The Air Raid had 204 total yards against that Vanderbilt team. It took five Vanderbilt turnovers to win the game by one. And credit to Zach Arnett, Mississippi State's defensive coordinator, if you're not familiar with him, has done a phenomenal phenomenal job with that defense he's very good uh they got to pay up if they want to keep him because he's very good um I think a lot of schools around the country will be calling him after this season so they deserve credit for that but you win by a touchdown against the worst roster in the SEC and one of Ken Seals touchdown or interceptions was in your end zone it was a goal-to-go situation through a bad interception. Nice play by Errol Thompson, but it was a bad interception. And four other turnovers, two of which were interceptions, two were, were fumbles. They were doubled up plus 74 in total yards. They were doubled up plus one in first downs. The The talent, the, the not having his guys, isn't an excuse this week. Um, so if I were a, a Mississippi State fan, I would be terrified with what I've seen. Because that offensive performance, after everything since the LSU game, really, is inexcusable. Because like we keep saying, the interbuild is horrendous. Historically bad. True freshman quarterback alongside the worst roster in the SEC and then some. And it took five turnovers to beat them by a touchdown. I'm not going to write the book on Mike Leach just yet, but man, I would be just, I would be so concerned if I were them. Because what's going on is, is inexcusable for them. Just simply inexcusable. And I think, if I remember correctly... They've got Georgia next week. Auburn. They have Auburn at home and then Georgia. Ooh. Uh, so things could be going from bad to worse for them. Speaking of bad to worse, how about Tennessee going to Arkansas and uh, and losing? That's a, a funny, funny job, funny situation. Because everybody that covers college football nationally thinks Tennessee is supposed to be some kind of a power. That's what they think. That's what everybody thinks, right? That Tennessee is a national power that should be able to get whatever recruit they want and all that stuff. Maybe we're not looking at the Tennessee job the right way. Because don't get me wrong, Jeremy Pruitt's been bad, but he follows uh, another coach that was bad 
and then another one before him that that was bad. Is Tennessee just making the worst hires of all time, or maybe is the job not as good as people think it is? No, oh, but they won a national championship when I was a toddler. Doesn't mean anything right now. It's a state that doesn't have a great recruiting base, and Nashville, its best city, is kind of far away. I know it's a vault town, but still, other schools can go into Nashville and get guys. Memphis is like a six and a half hour drive from Knoxville. They don't really have a great recruiting base. Maybe college football's caught up with Tennessee. Maybe it's not just Jeremy Pruitt and Butch Jones and. Uh, all the other clowns that they hired before them. Maybe Tennessee is not that easy of a job. Maybe it's changed a little bit. Maybe they're not a college football power anymore. Maybe this isn't acceptable for them, but maybe the program's not what they think it is and what national college people think it is. That's just it's just a thought. I don't know if they can fire Pruitt after this year because of COVID and stuff like that, but... I've seen a lot of Tennessee fans say they want uh, Hugh Freeze. And two things. Number one, a lot of Tennessee media is going to have to delete a lot of tweets about Hugh Freeze and cheating uh, if they were to hire him. But also, that's not going to happen. The SEC won't let that happen. I think Ross Dellinger's story recently uh, about Hugh Freeze, when he had the audacity to say, uh, I paid a price and my family paid a price. When can we move on? I mean, talk about Never mind. Um, don't even want to go down that road, actually. Never mind. Um, he hadn't learned anything. Anyway, um, in that story, it was intimated that the SEC basically won't let that happen unless there's extreme vetting, and they basically have to plead their case to the league office to make that happen. It's not going to happen. Um that that story told you a lot. If you haven't read it, I, I would encourage you to read it. I know a lot of people, myself included, are reluctant to read things about Hugh Freeze. I just don't want to do it. Um, because, you know, you've heard all that crap before. But that story from Ross, if you can read between the lines, said a lot uh, about that situation in the SEC and what was made public and stuff like that. There's just a lot there, um, a lot there, that I would encourage you to read. And um, there's no Tennessee fans listening to this, but that story tells you he's that's not going to happen. It won't happen. So if you're going to fire Pruitt, maybe look at uh, Billy Napier or somebody like that. So anyway, all right. Uh, I know all of you watched the uh, the Clemson Notre Dame game, and at least I think so. I mean, that was the game of the weekend, an incredible football game. Uh, Notre Dame won a double overtime. DJ Uwiangalele, I don't know, DJ, uh, played extremely well, but Clemson's defense is awful. And now, if you want to look at playoff scenarios, now things are all over the place because um, Notre Dame is technically in the ACC, so they'll get another shot at Clemson in the conference championship game because they're not losing to Boston College or North Carolina or Syracuse or Wake Forest. But they'll meet again. In the ACC championship, will Clemson and Notre Dame? They will. So you've got a potential situation in the college football playoff where you could technically have a, a undefeated Ohio State just for kicks, let's say an undefeated Oregon with a, a shorter schedule, a one-loss Texas A&M, 
a one-loss Clemson, a one-loss Notre Dame, and possibly a one-loss Alabama and Florida. So these things so far, since the playoff has been adopted, kind of work themselves out. But it's entirely possible that you have an undefeated Oregon, an undefeated Ohio State, a one-loss Texas A&M, a one-loss Alabama, a one-loss Florida, a one-loss Clemson, a one-loss Notre Dame. I mean, that's absolutely within the realm of possibility. So, like I said, these things kind of shake themselves out and uh, they tend to work themselves out because they have so far. But this is a unique year and I would not at all be surprised. And then what do you do? Well, actually, I know what the answer is. I know what the answer is. What do you do with uh, BYU? Uh, You leave them out. That's what you do. Um, They don't belong, especially in a year like this. You got these college football hipsters that just, oh, well, BYU belongs in the playoff. No, they don't. No, they don't. I would love to see it one time, though, just so we can shut up about it. Put put this year's BYU in the playoff and let them play Ohio State. Let Ohio State beat them by half a hundred, and we can all be done with talking about BYU and their, like, being involved in the college football playoff. I'm exhausted by it, so I, I would like to see it end. So put them in the playoff this year. Do it. They'll go undefeated and let them play Ohio State in the first round. And let Justin Fields throw for 500 yards against that defense. And just end it all. Just end it all. Uh, But that's not going to happen because the committee so far has gotten a lot of things right. And I know there's been a couple of years where people have complained about the four seed. But when you look up at the playoff scenario and who won the championship, there's no complaints at all. They've done a pretty good job. I suspect they'll do it again here and that will be leaving the Coastal Carolina and the BYU out of it because they don't belong. If you want to expand the playoff and give the highest-ranked group of five team a uh, a chance, then that's fine. But if we're going to stick to four, then it needs to be the four teams that can actually win. That That's what it is. It's the four best teams. That's what their job is to, uh, to determine. So, anyway, yeah, Clemson loses... Um, DJ's a star. You did have the, uh, maybe he's the best quarterback on Clemson's roster take. It's funny, I was talking with a friend while that game uh, was ending, and he literally said to me, who's going to be the first to say that Clemson should start DJ instead of Lawrence moving forward, even after Lawrence comes back, and it happened to be Dan Wilkin was the first one to do it. Um, That's just complete nonsense. DJ's great, but but stop. Uh, Come on. Um, I suspect they'll run the table and they'll meet Notre Dame again in the ACC championship. But that was one hell of a football game. One hell of a game. And um, for a freshman, that kid is spectacular, and he's well on his way to being a number one pick himself. And then they storm the field afterwards. That was something that got a lot of people hot, wasn't it? Um, I suspect Notre Dame will get some kind of punishment, and I, and I think it's warranted. But here's why. So I tweeted something, and a few people didn't like it. I said basically that I feel like Notre Dame should get heavily fined for this. But here's uh, the difference between me and a lot of blue check marks you saw uh, on Twitter. I'm pretty consistent. So even if you disagree with Notre Dame uh, getting fined for storming the field like that, uh, I did, at least for a moment, appreciate the fact that we had a sense of normalcy where that would have happened in a regular year, the storming of the field. It felt for a few minutes like what college football is supposed to be. And that was nice. 
but this isn't a regular year. And um, I think most importantly, I think that they should be punished because there were players on the field when they did that. And this was a game that was played with one of the teams having to use their backup quarterback because the starter got COVID. And these players have to, and whether you agree or not with the fact that they test these guys all the time, but these players have agreed and upheld strict protocols and they get tested in some cases daily. And if one Notre Dame student who was asymptomatic congratulated one of his players and yelled at him and gave him a big hug and gave him COVID and that player goes in the locker room and and it spreads, it could derail a potential national championship season. They could derail that. And that's why I think Notre Dame should be fined for it because it could end what they've worked so hard for. And that that would just be a terrible way for them to have to move a game or cancel a game or something like that because kids stormed the field and possibly gave it to some of the players, but also I'm consistent. So even if you disagree with that, at least hear this, because I did see some people, some blue check marks on Twitter, mostly um, an echo chamber of the stupid, but people condemned the Notre Dame students for storming the field and celebrated the people gathering outside of the White House and other places celebrating Biden's victory. Um, is the virus like intelligent to where it like has political... Um, Leanings? Does it choose what mass gathering to infect people on based on their on its political views? I don't think so. So if it is truly a virus that is spread easily among large crowds and is deadly, and we should do everything we can to social distance and mask up and be away from each other because we're killing grandma, uh, then you can't be okay with the gatherings outside of the White House and in major cities across the country. You can't, on one hand, condemn the Notre Dame students for storming the field and then celebrate the people gathering outside of the White House, regardless of what they were celebrating. Because if it is truly a deadly virus that is spread very quickly among large crowds, then large crowds should never exist. But people are hypocrites. So at least I'm consistent. you got to give me credit for that. Um Anyway, so those are the major games this weekend. I know we had a few more, like uh, Ohio State, pretty dominant over Rutgers. Uh, Cincinnati stayed undefeated. Oregon looked good in their opener. I think they might run the table and go undefeated. Uh, there's a lot of storyline about Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. Uh, I was listening on the way into my Sunday show, the uh, the national ESPN like college football reaction Sunday show, and one of the hosts was just convinced that Harbaugh is going to be gone from Michigan, not because they fire him, but because he will get an NFL head coaching job. And, uh, I mean, what what the hell are you talking... I mean, what NFL team is going to hire Jim Harbaugh to be their head coach right now? Uh, anyway, uh, so he might get fired. They're one and two. They're terrible. Um, Oklahoma State and Texas are probably the Big 12's best shot at making the playoffs still at this point. No matter how bad Oklahoma beats Kansas, you can't erase those two losses. So, well, Texas has two as well. So it's basically Oklahoma State that is their only shot, the Big 12, at making the college football playoff because I don't think you're going to have enough teams with more than one loss to bring Texas and Oklahoma back into that conversation. 
And then one of the stories of the weekend was uh, Hugh Freeze and Liberty, but I just don't, I don't care. Um, he's a hell of a football coach, and a lot of people are talking, but go read Ross Dellinger's story and tell me you'd want to hire that, that guy to coach your football program. Uh, anyway. All right, that's it for me. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Michael Borky and subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and a review. would love to hear from you. And uh, as always, thank you for making the show a part of your day. Don't forget to go by and see Greg at LB's and tell him we sent you. And I will talk to you again, uh, maybe tomorrow, but definitely on Wednesday. Have a good week. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.